something I really like to ask monogamous people about if mm. they're curious about polyamory or maybe if they're a little suspect of it or something. And that's one of the examples I like to give of things you can learn from non-monogamy, even if you are monogamous, is that mm -hmm. infidelity isn't just a thing. It really depends how you define it and that that's a conversation you need to have. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking about infidelity. We've gotten a lot of questions from our listeners over the years about this topic, and so we wanted to explore some of the most common and the most intriguing questions that we have received many times. Yeah, so we have a couple of main questions motivating this episode, and the first one is going to be, how common is infidelity? And it, it's a lot more common than one might think, although probably, I don't know, Maybe you would it, think. It seems like it's rampant out there. Like, it it's, definitely is something that's, that, that is talked about all the time. I mean, we'll dive into it when we get into the numbers, but I think the unfortunate thing is that, uh, based on the study, the numbers do seem to vary quite widely. So mm. that's why it is kind of hard to put an exact figure on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. Another question is, is it even possible to cheat while you're practicing ethical non-monogamy? Because, like, if you're not sexually exclusive, then what actually counts as cheating and what doesn't? And the answer mm. is yes, it is possible. <laughs> yes. We'll get to it. We'll get, we're, yes. Just, we're just teasing the questions right now. We're, we're going to okay. get to all of these. Yeah, no, well, you'll find out. <laughs> Next question. Next question that we get all the time. Um, is it possible to recover after there has been an infidelity? Um if I found my partner cheating or if I cheated on my partner, should I stay with my partner or should I leave them? Um, a lot of people get caught up in that predicament. And then related to that, and this is the doozy, um, people ask us all the time, is ethical non-monogamy a viable option after there's been an infidelity? You know, so it's usually a situation like, oh, my partner cheated on me. I found out they still want to stay with the person that they're, they were with, you know, cheating on me with. Should we try to be polyamorous or should we open up the relationship? Like, is that what they want? Is that something that we can try now? Um, or often I'll also hear from people who are in a situation of like either I cheated on or I am currently cheating on my partner. I feel mm -hmm. like I identify with polyamory or ethical non-monogamy. Um, does this mean I should try to pitch that to my partner? Should I suggest opening up the relationship? Should I tell my partner that I've been cheating on them and then open up the relationship? Um, get a lot of emails um, from a lot of people in a lot of very messy situations wondering if um, it's possible to transition to non-monogamy after infidelity. So to start off, we're going to start with one of our favorite things, which is some stits and stats on infidelity. So a lot of this right now, like we were saying before, the statistics are hard to come by for this. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little more later too, but Conducting a study about people 
doing something that they keep secret and that there's pretty high stakes for being honest about is a very hard thing to get honest answers for. So mm. this particular study was um, where a lot of these statistics are coming from. It's from a relatively small study of about 200 people, uh, some of whom are married, some divorced, some uh, single, you know, di in different relationship states. Um, but we have some stits and stats from that that are quite interesting. Yeah. So as I was saying earlier, that there's been a, there has been a wide variety of studies, but the figures range anywhere from from like as low as twenty percent of people in a committed relationship have had some kind of extramarital sex or had an affair of some kind to as high as sixty percent. Certain studies say That's a like sixty percent of people. Yes, it's huge range. Um, so it is a little bit hard to pin down. It also kind of the target kind of moves depending on how the study is defining infidelity um, and things like that. But for this particular study, this, this somewhat smallish one that was 200 people, this is what they found. They found that 55% of their male respondents um, admitted to cheating on their spouse with five or more people, which is wow. a lot. Good. Yeah, I know. I'm like, whoa, whoa. That's yeah. so, okay. But again, this is of the people who admitted like, yes, they had cheated on their spouse or on their partner. And so half of those men said they did cheat on their spouse with five or more people. 50% um, of the female respondents admitted to cheating with at least one person. 23% um, of the men said that the leading cause of the affair was due to a lack of sexual satisfaction. 28% of the women said the cause of the affair was due to a lack of emotional satisfaction. And I actually want to point that out that, that the 23% and 28% is actually a pretty small percentage. Um, I think that we definitely have some cultural stories around affairs and like we kind of assume that if a man strays it's because he's not getting enough sex and if a woman yeah. strays it's because she's not getting enough romance or emotional intimacy and of course it plays very neatly into our you know our our gender stereotypes that we're taught growing up however what we actually find is that uh most of the time affairs aren't necessarily direct product of the person not getting something in their original relationship that often it's factors that are not necessarily related to disappointment. Yeah. And I do find it fascinating that the way in which this study uh, was operated and the questions that they asked were surrounding like emotional satisfaction or sexual satisfaction and then geared towards the men and the women. I just kind of wanted to point that out. That yeah. Probably I, I would be interested to hear the other end of it. Like, Let's ask the women, like, was it due to sexual satisfaction or the men, was right. it due to emotional satisfaction? Right. You know, or lack thereof. Well, and that may have know. been in the study, but unfortunately they didn't give it all wasn't of the published. results. Because this, this, this was a, done by a company. This wasn't something that was mm. like published in peer-reviewed journals or something like that. So also sure. take that into account with all these stats. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's move on. Um, apparently, 68% of men and 87% of women uh, consider online or cyber relationships infidelity. So these are like a couple of specific stats and stats on like what kind of things constitute as an affair. So like essentially, okay, like, okay, an online or cyber relationship. So 68% of men and 87% of women consider that type of relationship infidelity. Can Which I is interesting. Ask, when yeah? was the last time anyone referred to it as a cyber relationship? <laughs> cyber relationship? <laughs> this maybe in, reveals in this it. article. 
the age of the people conducting this study, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It's almost almost cute. Like, oh, your cyber relationship. Oh, yeah, exactly. Maybe you have cyber sex. Maybe. I don't know. Oh. I know. It really brings you back to the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, this big one, this idea of an emotional affair, which, again, I'd be interested to hear what you two think, like, that constitutes as like what is an emotional affair what what this article says is that there is a strong emotional but not necessarily physical relationship between two people other than a spouse so this one was kind of more of a gray area for men uh 51 percent said that yes this qualified as infidelity but for women 62 percent said that it was while 25 percent said no and then 10 percent of the participants said that they weren't quite sure which I is guess which is another percentage opted out is interesting yeah right there's a few percentage I'm like this there. doesn't yeah. add up to 100 but yes um i think it is interesting though that with that sort of question that you know essentially 50% of men and 60% of women like both of those are pretty close to a 50-50 in this study mm-hmm. of like does that count as infidelity and i think that starts to get into something that I think non-monogamy raises a really interesting question about, and that's like, what counts as infidelity? And yeah, it's something I, I often... Think we're about to get into. Yeah, it's something I really like to ask monogamous people about if mm. they're curious about polyamory or maybe if they're a little suspect of it or something. And that's one of the examples I like to give of things you can learn from non-monogamy, even if you are monogamous, is that mm-hmm. infidelity isn't just a thing it really depends how you define it and that that's a conversation you need to have and i think this next statistic actually kind of shows that so this is this is how they worded it 36 percent of our male participants and 21 percent of our female participants said they had cheated on a spouse when asked and these are all people who are formerly married formerly mm. married or they're divorced now So 36% of men, 21% of women said they had cheated on their spouse. When asked the other question, did your spouse ever cheat on you? 58% of men and 65% of women said yes. So if we look at that, we're like, wait, wait. (laughs) So assuming this sample is representative, basically two times to three times as many people say that their spouse cheated on them than said that they ever cheated on their spouse, which to me means people define infidelity for their spouse different than they define it for themselves. Cause I think that that is interesting. It, that really kind of points to how important that question is. Right. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it's a question that, I think we've said this on the podcast before that it's important to have a conversation around that with your partner, if you're in some kind of a non-monogamous dynamic, but it's also important if you're choosing monogamy as well. I think that is a part of being consciously monogamous is having those conversations of like, what does constitute cheating for both of us? What constitutes violating the agreements of our relationship? Because it actually is different for a lot of different people, it can be different yeah. based on their cultural background. It can be different based on their family background. It can be different based on their trauma. Um, mm, you know, and so it is really important to be able to have those conversations. So, I mean, among the most common things, like I think at least in traditional monogamous relationships, the very like baseline fundamental thing that most people seem to agree on counts as cheating is like, you know, having sex with someone who isn't your partner. It tends to be very like sexually focused. Um, But 
in practice, I think I've seen people both in non-monogamous and in consciously monogamous relationships settle on a wide variety of what they count to be cheating or not. Um, for some people, as we said, um, an emotionally intimate relationship that's not with your partner, they consider to be infidelity. Um, you know, this whole term, the idea of the emotional affair, I really go back and forth on it, um, honestly, because I think at its very extreme, it can be taken to this place of like, you know, essentially you're not allowed to have a support network outside of mm. just your spouse or your partner. And I think yeah, that like, yeah, it can get to this extreme of, of being in a really unhealthy place. Um, for some people, they consider flirting with another partner, not with another partner, flirting <laughs> with another person who's not your partner to be some kind of infidelity. And with other people, they really don't care. Like, whatever, sure, if you go to a bar and flirt, as long as it's, you know, relatively quote-unquote harmless, you're not, like, sleeping with this person, then sure, have your fun. Um, some people really feel violated, again, like we said, by these quote-unquote cyber relationships cyber. that the kids are doing. <laughs> 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 and other people don't care so much. And then we kind of keep uh, going more into the extremes where like, I've definitely met some people where it, the idea of a one night stand or making out with someone at a party where some couples, even though they identify as monogamous, they're like, sure. If you want to make out with someone at a party, like that's totally fine. Or if you want to have a one night stand, as long as it doesn't turn into anything else, that's fine. And you know, that again, starts to get into the territory of people who maybe identify as monogamous, monogamous. or something like that. Yeah, I don't that's know. Really what do y'all think? I've also, I mean, I don't know. I've also met people who think that, like, if their partner watches pornography or masturbates without me, that's some kind of infidelity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the flirting question is really interesting too, because if you're going to say, well, flirting is cheating, then there's the question of like, what is flirting, right? Like, you can see how it just goes further and further into this, like, well, it's whatever makes me feel uncomfortable. And mm -hmm, that, right. I think, is where we start to get into this dangerous territory. And I think that's where most people live all the time when it comes to mm. infidelity. Is It's like, I couldn't tell you what it is, but I'll know it when I see it kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, or just like flirtatious touching, even. Like, there's so many gray areas of like, what is it actually? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think, that not actually talking about those things in like, an actual clear upfront way is mm -hmm. very problematic because then you can have that where one person is like, what, this person's been my friend for years. This is how we are together. And that's like an important part of my life. And the other person goes, no, that's what you do if that person is flirting. Mm. Right. And it's like, you can't really argue it because, you know, it's not coming from a place of like, let's try to, figure these things out and find a way to make this work. It comes from this place of like, well, I just feel bad. And I, this is the thing I've decided is the problem. Right. Yeah. Um, totally. Or on the other extreme, you have people doing things that are very much like very shady and very dishonest in their relationship, but saying, well, because of like the letter of the law of what we agreed on, this isn't cheating or like, I don't think this is, so it's okay. Right. Like on both sides, you can use that kind of, wishy-washy sort of thinking to do some bad things right. yeah it becomes really ambiguous i don't know it, i i think absolutely like ideally it's nice to be able to have a conversation with your partner especially if you are monogamous about like what this means to you and not just leave it to by the wayside like for the potential for it to occur because obviously i think 
one might get into a situation with friends or with old friends or friends that you've, you know, had a flirtation with for years, even if that's just the way in which you two interact with one another. And then all of a sudden to your partner, it becomes like, that's really not okay with me. So I think to avoid potential situations like that, to really be honest about what your expectations are, maybe is a good thing. And also to allow for a little bit more flexibility, because, you know, it's not like somebody necessarily is going to want to be like a dick to you and just say like, yeah, okay, I'm going to flirt in front of you and Mm. deal with it. But rather, they may just not know, okay, this is something that's going to be triggering to you. Well, I think I don't know, I feel like this is now bringing up another question of like, if it makes your partner uncomfortable, does that mean automatically it's some kind Mm. of infidelity? And I think that's kind of like what you were hitting on, Jace, of like a lot of people just living with kind of this sense of like, I'll just know it when I see it. Um, Because it's kind of more of a like a reactionary sort of thing. Yeah, that it's... I'm trying to think of of kind of another example. I feel like people do this a lot with um, kind of like manners or etiquette too. That's like a very subjective thing, but people talk about it as if it's a concrete thing that everyone should know. Um, like, <laughs> I mean, as a silly example, I remember when I was in middle school, I had a friend who would come over and he would, uh, whenever he would have like breakfast in the morning after we'd like had a sleepover, he would like, <laughs> like slurp his like milk out of his spoon. And I was just like, Ugh, like this, this is like so gross. And and my mom agreed with me, obviously, because she's the one I learned like what manners are. And that after a while, um, there was a time where this same friend was criticizing me about my like table manners about something. And it was just mm-hmm. that weird thing of like, oh my gosh, we've both just come from these totally different realities of like mm-hmm. what is and isn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. And to us, they're facts, they're universal, but they're yeah. actually not. Absolutely. And unfortunately, That's really interesting. Unfortunately, yeah. about relationships, it can have a lot more serious consequences than us just bickering about who you know who's rude or at not the table. Slurping. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Let's move on to that very old chestnut question of: Can you <laughs> actually be in a non-monogamous relationship and still have infidelity in your relationship? Because I absolutely have people in my life who I know who are polyamorous or who are in some form of non-monogamy and they're like, yes, my partner has cheated on me or I have been cheated on while in the midst of this type of relationship. So how, how does this happen? Um, I think, yeah, the, the old, the old adage of like having a rule and having a rule be broken in your non-monogamous relationship, like even just the rule of like, if you're going to sleep with someone, then run it by me first, or just let me know, let me know that it's going to happen before you do it. And, you know, that gets broken, for example, like two weeks later, you find out that this happened, like that can constitute maybe as cheating. What are some other ways? Well, something that, that, that often could comes be a up. Thing. Yeah, yeah. What often comes up is that is like starting a new relationship without informing your existing partners. Mm. Um, that one's often or even just up. having a one night stand. Yeah. And then not talking about it. Yeah. Well, that kind of depends. Really I think depends. that depends on the relationship. Some people sure. like with, I don't know. I've known some people where it's kind of like, whatever, if you just want to like go have a hookup or whatever, that's fine. But if something's turning into a more serious relationship, then I'd like to know, you know, and they kind of agree on that. Um, but with a lot of people, it is, yeah, it's like, no, we're, we, 
you know, we've agreed to keep each other in the loop with any kind of new partner that comes into the scene, even if it's just a one night stand. Yeah, for safety or whatever. That's a good example of how it can really vary, though, right? (coughs) In terms of what what people consider to be, you know, cheating or not. That that's like some people are like, whatever, you're out somewhere and you hook up with someone like, cool, like, I'd like it if you told me about it afterward, but you actually don't even have to do that. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's, that's kind of how I do my relationships where like, I would like you to be able to tell me those things, but I'm not going to be like, you didn't call me immediately after and let me know. Like that's, it's your own decision to do what you want. Right. Whereas for yeah. other people, there's a much more thorough, like agreed upon thing of like, these are the certain check-ins you need to have. And this is how long before having sex, you need to have gotten it approved by me. You know, I think it, Maybe that's an extreme example, not a healthy example, but you know, you can have different agreements that you have that if you break those and you're secretive about things, that would count as kind of this breach of trust, like cheating. Yeah. And another like breach of trust that could happen is uh, a potential violation of a sexual boundary that you have, such as the two of you decide, hey, we're, you know, only fluid bonded with one another and we're going to use condoms with everyone else. And then all of a sudden that doesn't happen, for example. Um, That could maybe, to some people, constitute as cheating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I I feel like the added part on top of all of these is there has to be this element. It it feels like there has to be also this element of like trying to hide it or trying Mm -hmm. to not talk about it in some way. Because I feel like... I mean, I've been in situations where like a partner has come to me and said like, hey, like I've actually made this decision that like I want to be able to have unprotected sex with so-and-so. And at that time, like with this partner, we weren't having unprotected sex anyway. Like we were using condoms and so it didn't change anything about me. But it was like we didn't have some kind of agreement around like you're only going to use condoms with everyone else except me. But like he told me that he wanted to make this decision. And so it was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I feel like if he hadn't told me and made that decision and like kept it a secret, then I would have had, then I maybe would have felt more cheated on or something like that. So I I don't know, I guess like as in, as I'm thinking about this, it seems more like the choice to also deceive seems to be an important part of this, I think. Yeah. I, I actually think that the thing that ties all of these together is about the breach of trust though. Sure. Um, is about, is something to to use like a bank account metaphor is something like depositing into the trust account or is it taking a oh big withdrawal out of it right um and i'm gonna have a little the biggest withdrawal i'll have one of my like soapbox moments we should have a little theme song go. that plays like jace's soapbox moments Um, no i feel like we need more of a theme song of whenever jace tries to get us to say a new word or something that he came up with yeah that happens more frequently than soapboxes (laughs) (laughs) well okay here's my soapbox moment about this and that's that something i think is interesting about this topic in general is that an affair or infidelity or cheating we have been taught to think about those things as in like as if it is a kind of a tangible thing that exists, that is a very big deal. Um, and I think this is actually similar to the way we're taught about uh, either about monogamy and like finding the one or taught about marriage where we're kind of sold this idea that a marriage isn't just what it is. It's some kind of 
magical thing that's like deeper and more profound mm. than just the reality of this commitment and this legal contract and like those sorts of things, which are wonderful things. But we, we sort of have this element of magic and like extra meaning that gets put on it. And then it, it influences a whole lot of other things about like how our society is structured and how our laws are set up and things like that, where it's just taken for granted that this relationship is somehow more important than any other relationship um, in this kind of magical way. And I think we have the same thing with affairs where we are sold this idea that an affair kind of is this breach of trust that's somehow worse than any other kind of breach of trust. And I actually think mm -hmm. if you were to really reasonably think about that, that's actually not true. Like yeah. there are much worse breaches of trust that can exist out there. Right. Like, I mean, the breach of trust between a child and a parent in cases of abuse or something like that, or of mm -hmm. abandonment or right. Like there's a lot of very terrible versions of, of, betraying trust and losing trust. And I think if you think about it that way, you can see that all these things, rather than having to pick apart like, oh, well, in order for it to count as cheating, there had to be a rule that it was against and like, oh, well, you the rule wasn't quite this or I think it's this. No, it's not like cheating isn't mm. this sort of thing that exists. It's just a word we have for certain types of betrayals of trust. And so yeah. I think, anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm, I'm done. You can play the outro theme song. The outro. Okay. Bonk. Okay. All right. Well, no, I think that that is a very important point to make because especially as we go on in this episode and we talk about, you know, is it feasible to bounce back after an affair? What are the ways to bounce back after that? You know, what are the pathways towards recovery that these things don't just apply to specifically an affair. They don't apply specifically to the situation of your partner having sex with someone and lying to you about it or, or to, you know, not upholding any, like a particular agreement that you made or whatever that it can apply to any kind of unexpected breach of trust that happens in a relationship. It doesn't have to be something that's just based on affairs or infidelity. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code multi at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi M U L T I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code multi to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. The big old question, is non-monogamy an option after an affair? Um, 
Okay. I had to, I really wanted to address this question in the episode because as I mentioned, I get it a lot. We get it a lot on the show. I get it a lot in my coaching practice. A lot of clients reach out to me. Um, and, um, basically, you know, there, you know, unfortunately there hasn't been any studies done on, on like how, like, are there people who successfully transition into non-monogamy after an affair? Like, or, or does it crash and burn? Like, like there, like, I don't have any science to give people on the chances of them succeeding. And mm. trust me, I've had people who are like, can you give me the percent chance? And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. I'd be pulling it out of my butt. Like, I don't know. Um, so I can only speak kind of, I guess from anecdotal experience and my experience working with clients. Um, I have found that sometimes people who have an affair, sometimes the affair is the thing that was needed to literally, mm. you know, break things open and create kind of this new relationship, this new way of communicating. Um, you know, it forces things to be out on the table. And sometimes depending on the couple, that's exactly what they needed. They needed some kind of big dramatic inciting incident to finally be like, okay, we can finally just be freaking honest with each other about who we're attracted to or our interest in non-monogamy or something like that. And we can finally talk about it and, and move forward. Um, so some people are able to go from the pain of an affair to actually launching quite successfully into a non-monogamous relationship. Um, however, that is definitely the minority of cases that I've seen. Usually for that to be the case, like the relationship itself has to be already pretty dang solid with pretty good communication. And then this affair is just kind of a hiccup where they're like, Ooh, Oh gosh. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, how, how do we kind of rebuild and move forward and find a way to make our relationship, you know, better for both of us moving forward. Um, but as I said, it is the minority of cases. Um, as most people know, I think non-monogamy and polyamory, it's something that takes like so much trust and honesty and communication and to start after an affair is kind of like starting with like, like starting out your life with like a bank, like already in like a ton of debt, like with a negative bank account with no job, like you're really shooting yourself in the foot, trying to transition like a relationship where you've been cheating into something that's non monogamous. And it's not just like, I can't ever, you know, I can never say to someone like, no, it's impossible. You can't do it. Don't even try, but it's definitely going to be difficult. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've read some, you know, articles by people. There was one that we read in preparing for this, where they were basically saying they've never known anyone who has, successfully transitioned into non-monogamy with that same partner. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Often people can find like, Oh, this really opened my eyes to non-monogamy, but maybe not with that person. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways that it could go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that is definitely interesting, but I think a lot of people, if they've been in, let's say a monogamous marriage for a long time, and then they finally like they have an affair, they, they find someone, you know, they have some kind of extramarital affair that that can be the inciting incident incident that helps them to realize, Oh, Hey, like I, this is what I want in my yeah, life. Yeah, This is what I want. I feel like I am capable of loving more than one person, or I am really interested in this. Um, and like, that's great. Like, it's great that you've realized this, but like the chances of succeeding, like steep, still keeping the same people in your life, you know, like the person that you cheated on and the person, you know, that you're, you know, cheating on your partner with that is definitely an uphill battle from what I've and, seen. 
That's fascinating because I think anecdotally people think in their minds like, okay, a lot of people get into polyamory because it's coming out of like a cheating relationship. And so then they like start, I guess they, they have the, the affair or whatever. And then they start becoming polyamorous after that. And that's just kind of a way in which polyamory can happen in people's lives and that people just think, okay, like that's a thing that, that people do. And so it's a possibility that, that it can work. I don't know. I I think the reality is it, doesn't tend to work that way. Yeah, it doesn't tend yeah. to work out. I, I mean, there's a lot of there's so much pain from yeah. the beginning incident, or there can be potentially that. Yes, I I agree that it's difficult to crawl up out of that, and then all of a sudden just be like comfortable with this new thing. Right. I I mean, I've definitely like I've seen people really dig themselves like a really deep hole. Like some people who like they've been cheating on a partner, but they're like, oh, but. Like maybe if I pitch them on the idea of opening up our mm-hmm. relationship first. And so like they pitch them and then the, the partner agrees like, yeah, we'll open up our, our relationship. And then they're trying to pretend that like this partner they've been seeing for a year now that, Oh, actually we only met two weeks ago. And <laughs> oh like gosh. it, it really, you know, it does become that old adage of, of just, you know, like the tangled web um, yeah. essentially mm-hmm. where you just get in like deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And so like, I guess, I don't know. I guess that's where I ultimately land is like, I have seen people really pull it off pretty amazingly, but I would call that more of a miracle rather than like something to be expected that I think, you know, for most people that I know who are in this situation of like, they're cheating on their partner or they've been cheated on. And now they're considering, should I be non-monogamous? Should I be open? Um, That's basically that it's like, you know, you can try, but I wouldn't count on it being successful. You're probably going to have a better time, like trying to find some way to have a fresh start, either mm. leaving the relationships that you're in and and knowing like now going forward, like I know what I want and now I can create relationships that are built on like honesty and trust about what I want. Um, uh, basically that, like you have to find some way to have a fresh start generally, because there's probably going to be too much like pain and suffering and baggage and mistrust, you know, trying yeah. to transition it from that. Yeah, because I mean, like we said, that it takes a lot of trust and honesty to have an effective non-monogamous relationship. Yeah. Um, and that in this case, if you've been having an affair and then you want to open up your existing relationship and continue that relationship you're having the affair with, like not only are you starting from a place of having lost a lot of the of your partner's trust, of like violating that trust, but also you're not starting off their metamor relationship on a good foot because you're starting with right. like, I don't trust you to respect my relationship mm-hmm. metamor. Right. So it's like Absolutely. D- d- strikes on both sides. <clears throat> like it's just really not a great place to start from. And I, I would argue like not, not a reasonable thing to ask of someone yeah. to mm-hmm. ask of your partner yeah. who's been cheated on. Um, I know people do it. It happens a lot. Actually, people try to make yeah. it work. I personally would say that's not a fair thing to ask of someone. Mm-hmm. I I just, yeah, I know we're really ragging on this situation um, and I'm going to keep ragging, but basically just saying that uh, a, a viewpoint that we haven't really considered yet is I also get a lot of people who come to me who are like, quote unquote, the other woman, like they are the other person. And mm. sometimes it's actually even under the guise of like this person came to me and said they were non-monogamous 
And mm. so I got into a relationship with them and then found out too late. No, they've actually been lying to their partner this entire time, but now I love this person. Um, so what do and, we do? Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do? And that's, the, I don't know that like, I feel so like sorry for people in this situation. Cause it is really just a case of like, if you found out that like your partner has been lying to their other partner this whole time, like at least for me personally, like there is not, there is no excuse on the planet that he, this person can give me that makes it justifiable for like why I should stay with them after they've been yeah, lying like, to their other they're partner also, this whole time. They're a liar. Like that's yeah, not it's like, cool, it's, man. Yeah. It's like, like it doesn't matter that like you're not the person necessarily being lied to. You may as well. Cause you be, will be eventually. Cause, cause yeah. you like this person will be eventually. Um, and no, you were because they said, well, that's right, true. That's true. Not that's true. So no, that's true. you were lied to. Yeah, that's true. That it's, whole situation it's so messed is up. shitty. It's like, I've, I've heard from so many people in that situation. I don't know why it happens so often and I feel so bad, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like I can't stress enough to people that it's like, if, if someone you're with is actively proactively lying to another partner, like that's not a person that you want to be with. I'm not yeah. normally so black and white on this show or with my clients, but I, but in this situation, I'm just like, nah, like this is not, this is not going to be good. You got to get yeah. out before you get, you know, too hurt. They need to be doing some serious work in order right. to not like continue yeah. those lies. Yeah. 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 And Definitely. deceiving everyone for their own benefit. So, okay. Is it possible to recover after, after an infidelity? Like how does one even do that? And not necessarily like, going into an, a non-monogamous relationship afterwards, but just even keeping on in the same type of relationship that you already were in. And is it possible to recover? And is it possible to kind of continue that relationship? Or is it just like, done deal? No, no way. Yeah. So something that was interesting in the stits and stats that we were looking at earlier is that same study found that um, of marriages where the infidelity was either admitted to the partner or was found out, that most marriages did continue after the affair. Most didn't immediately lead to a divorce. That's fascinating. And then, again, they do this weird thing with the gender in this study, but they say 40% 40 of women admit they're not on good terms with their spouses, though, even though they are still married, while 60% of men say they are on good terms. I'm so like, it's the exact same for both. Such a weird split. That's so stupid. It's the same <sighs> number, right? Forty percent of women said it's bad. Sixty percent of women said it was, or sixty percent of men said it was good. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's... maybe I'm just assuming this is all heterosexual couples, but I think it is. Uh, I think we read that in the study that it's all heterosexual couples, and so I'm like, so probably. You're saying the same why, number. Why? Yeah, why exactly. Try to make why would it into they do that gender thing? Anyway, I'm mad at this study. It, it's for, not a great study. It, it, yeah. Again, it's like trying to dupe you into saying like, well, look <laughs> at all these women who are saying that they're not on good terms and the men who are trying. But I think well, we only both, have we only trying. have ourselves to blame for yeah. finding this study and using all right, fine. it. So, yeah, that is a um, <laughs> It's fascinating. So I think there are two interesting things to take away from this, though. One is that, first of all, is that most relationships don't end right after an affair. I think that mm -hmm. first part is very interesting. And I think the other part is this 40-60 thing. Those aren't great odds, right? Like yeah. no, not about, really. about being on not good terms, good terms with your partner after this. And I think right. it's interesting to see that that many people are still in this relationship, even saying that they're not on good terms. Hmm. I think that in, in yeah. itself is, says some interesting things about the way we treat marriages specifically. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. But so through this, it, we found some steps for recovery. Um, and this is not from these guys who did this study, thankfully, because I don't think I wouldn't trust them to help us repair a relationship. <laughs> Um, but there were some really great um, articles, some from the Gottman Institute, some from, uh, you know, other therapists who've written about it um, online. And so we want to talk about some of those that we felt were the most applicable to all types of relationships. Um, and uh, Dedeker, I think you have the first one here. Right. Yeah. So it is hard when you when we're doing research into like how does one recover or move forward with a partner after there's been an infidelity? Because, you know, specifically when you're looking at literature that's about affairs, it's all very mononormative, right? It's all very much about like, you know, your marriage needs to be the most important thing. You know, the first thing you need to do is you need to completely cut off this other person out of your life. And it's like, yeah, for like a monogamous relationship, that makes sense. But if it's some other kind of breach of trust or breach of an agreement in some kind of consensually non-monogamous relationship, then you can't just default to, well, the thing that's going to solve it is to cut off mm -hmm. this particular person. Because sometimes it's not even based in like a particular person, you know, usually it's based in an action or something like that. Um, but these are some steps that are, um, I think can be applied to any kind of breach of trust that's, that's major and unexpected, not necessarily just infidelity. Um, and the first one being that it's important to recognize that forgiveness, it is an option that it is something that is possible to attain, but it is going to take time. And I think that it is okay to kind of hold both those truths of knowing like it is going to take time to get over the pain and to heal that pain and suffering um, that was caused by the breach of trust, um, but that it is possible to attain forgiveness and to still kind of maintain that sense, even when things are feeling really hard. Um, and the other thing that's really important is to recognize that before this infidelity or before the breach of trust, there may have been problems in the relationship. It's unlikely, according to like studies, it's unlikely that it's usually not like a perfect A plus B equals C. It's usually not a perfect like, oh, you know, she wasn't getting her emotional needs met, therefore she went to someone else to get them fulfilled. Usually what causes people to have affairs is a lot more complex and sometimes not quite intuitive. Um, mm. But it is important for both people to recognize that they both probably took part in some kind of, you know, in something that helped contribute to the relationship, maybe not being ideal before and being able to take ownership of that, even though they know that like the problems in the relationship wasn't what caused the infidelity or the breach of trust. Um, but again, being able to take ownership for each person's part in what the relationship was like before this breach of trust. I thought that the Gottman Institute put it well when they were saying that the problems in the relationship weren't what caused this to happen, because the breach of trust comes from not being trustworthy and like not taking mm. maybe the more brave choices to be more honest or to you know, be more upfront about your behavior. However, that doesn't mean there aren't still things that could be improved. And if you are going to continue this relationship, that should be from a place of wanting to improve it. So it's kind of yeah. like, like that, of, of making that distinction. I, I like the way that they put that. Yeah, the, the next two, wow, are real doozies because <laughs> I think that if you're, if you're able to master these two, uh, in any relationship, regardless of what it is, I think you are one hell of a Zen master <laughs> because it is, it's really difficult to do, but also um, I just think so like 
unbelievably loving and stepping outside of yourself and getting out of your own way. Um, so the first one is learn how to express feelings of pain in such a way that it encourages dialogue rather than continual rumination or punishment. I think this is incredibly difficult for most people to do because we do get so caught up in our emotions instead of being able to be like, hey, I'm going to help you help me by setting up a good way in which we can have a good conversation about this as opposed to me just like dumping on you about all of my shit that I'm feeling in this moment. So, you know, you can learn ways to self-soothe through negative feelings as well, rather than always needing to let them loose on on a partner. That's one of them. You want to say something about that, Dedeker? Yeah, I, I just wanted to point out that I feel like this is where I see so many people get stuck is, you know, my partner did something. Where, yeah, I, felt, I get stuck. Yeah, I felt hurt about it. All and like, stuck. Yeah, and I need to process those hurt emotions about it. And I see people just get stuck in this pattern of, you know, partner the partner that was hurt just like, you know, processing and dumping all their hurt feelings on the, you know, other partner and the other partner often going through f- periods of like, just like trying to apologize slash being indignant slash being tired of having the same conversation or feeling like they're just being beat over the head constantly or being guilted constantly. And it creates this like really vicious cycle because then, yeah. you know, the partner who was hurt then feels like they're not being listened to. And it really, like, I, I don't know. I think I, I feel like I've seen that cycle, like destroy a lot of relationships and like, just oh, like really sure. wear down a lot of people because it's really hard to get out of that cycle. Like it makes sense. It's like, if you're so hurt and the person who hurts you, you know, you don't feel like you're getting the thing that you feel like you need from them in order to be able to not be hurt anymore. But the other partner just feels like, how many times are we going to go over this? Like I've apologized. I've done everything I possibly can. Like I'm at the point of offering to like cut off parts of my body. If it'll just make you feel better, you know, and, and people just really get stuck in this loop. But yeah, this of like learning to be able to express those feelings in a way where there can either, there can be dialogue, like productive dialogue about it, or in a way where like you can process it by yourself. Because again, Mm -hmm. like I think that, or even you with a, an objective party. Exactly. Or with a friend yeah. or a therapist or things like that. Because the thing is that it's like, like if your partner's done something to hurt you, you know, it can still come up many years later and sure. still feel like twingy or hurtful, even after it's been quote unquote resolved. And it, you know, even if it really has been resolved. And so like, does that mean you need to bring it up to your partner again? Does it mean you just sit on it? Like, you know, like learning to tell the difference between those two things, I think is like so paramount to help you prevent, like to help prevent you from falling into that like really toxic, vicious cycle with a partner. Yeah. And I think all of that kind of leads into the next one, which, which is something we've talked about on this show and that you guys have talked to me about um, it, it, over many years, I think. And, and it's, it's sort of it, understanding your own personal biases and potentially shifting them in your mind Um, what the Gottman Institute said was creating a new context or paradigm that sets up you and your partner for success in the future. But I also want to point out that like we often will create these stories in our minds about who we are and who our partners are. And regardless of what they say, what they do, like that tape is what plays constantly. And so you never can really move forward simply because the two of you have these ideas about one another 
and it's not going to move forward from there. It's always going to be those tapes that are playing and always going to be, you know, us banging ourselves over the head with like, this is what happened. You did this. Mm -hmm. How dare you over and over and over again, instead of really deciding for ourselves my part, I'm going to decide after this amount of time or after this amount of processing that my partner is a person who is trustworthy again, that my mm -hmm. partner is a person who is worthy of my love and therefore like move forward with that story as opposed to the old one. And then I think, you know, that can change the way in which you communicate with one another. You can feel safe and, on and honest and, and trustworthy and truthful in order to move forward if you really want to in this relationship. I think that also involves changing the story about yourself. Oh, right? unquestionably. That I am yeah, that someone... you're not a victim anymore. Well, no, but even just, uh, yes, that, that too, but like that I, I am worthy of being loved and mm. like my partner isn't going to cheat on me again or leave me or something because I'm not worthy that we yeah. can also end up with like a lot of that sort of story about ourselves in our head that sure, like I'm absolutely. just not lovable enough that I can be enough for this person. Yeah. Um, so I think it can yeah, really work true. for our, for ourselves and for our partners. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh boy. Okay. <laughs> I know all of that is, is a lot, but okay. Some big stuff, some big stuff for sure. A little bit, a <laughs> little bit more here. Yeah, so take it away, Jess. This comes from the Gottman Institute again, uh, and again we've talked about this when we mentioned the Gottman Institute in the past. They're great. They're a really great resource. They do a lot of research. They're a huge body of knowledge and stuff. That said, they are very, very, very mononormative, very heteronormative. Um, so you know, there's that. There's our disclaimer. Okay, moving on. Uh, they have these three questions about um, kind of ask, three questions to ask yourself in determining if you're going to move forward in trying to repair and rebuild a relationship after an affair. Um, and these are questions for the person who was the one who was cheated on. Mm -hmm. So, first, so as in, it's it's like questions to ask yourself if you're struggling and trying to figure out, do I stay with this person or do I leave? Yeah. Because a lot yeah. of people are caught in that situation. Right. Yeah. So the first question is, um, would you want to be committed to your partner if you trusted them again? And it, that sounds like kind of a so basic level question, which is why I think it's really worth asking. Um, in other words, like, do you admire this person? Do you respect this person enough to even want to have a relationship with them if you did trust them, right? And really be honest, like, do I still enjoy being with this person? Is this still a rewarding relationship for me? Mm. Or is it not? Because if it's not, well, none of this is worth nah. trying to yeah. repair anyway. Right, right. And so question number two, have you let go of your anger and resentment about your partner's betrayal? And are you able to move forward? So another way of thinking about this question is like, can you close your eyes and can you imagine feeling happy again in your relationship with this person? Can you imagine wanting to be close or wanting to be intimate with your partner, even in spite of their actions? So mm -hmm. it's, you know, I think a lot of people can envision like, yeah, I can envision if this never happened, of course, I'd want to be close to my partner and, and, mm -hmm. and you know, trust them and be intimate with them again. But it's like, no, like knowing what your partner's done and knowing the pain that you have because of it, can you ever imagine yourself feeling happy, feeling close, feeling intimate with this person? Yeah. And then finally, can you forgive your partner for their actions? So 
again, it's not it's not condoning their actions, but, but really not letting those actions have any more power over you. So apparently research suggests that a willingness to forgive can help heal marital problems, um, both big problems and small problems. So so in fact, marital therapists have found that forgiveness is an, an essential ingredient of healing from infidelity, and it contributes to a long-lasting, su- successful marriage. Uh, so yeah, I mean, isn't that in a Bible? Forgiveness. <laughs> oh my goodness! Gosh, You're gonna bring the Bible into this Emily. episode here. Hey, that's our not, other podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was not what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, I yeah, mean, the, really, no, just like doing it in general is probably good. Just also for your for your own mental health, like learning to well, forgive. I think, I think that's, that. Th- this makes sense, you know, in our question of asking, like, is non-monogamy viable mm-hmm. after an affair? And I think all these three questions apply as oh, well. Yeah. If you're considering, do I stay with this person and be non-monogamous with them or do I leave? Like these three questions definitely apply because it's true, like, if you haven't let go of your anger and resentment, and if you don't feel like you can forgive your partner for the breach of trust, like there's no way in hell you're going to be able to have like a healthy functioning non-monogamous relationship until those things happen. Um, and if that, and if, and I think the other important thing is like, if you don't feel like that's in you, that's okay. Like if you really don't feel, I can't forgive this person. I can't get past that. That is okay. It just means like, you probably do need to leave the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you really can't get past that, like, like you're definitely not under any kind of obligation to have to forgive someone or to have to, you know, let go of feeling angry about what someone did to you. Um, but it's not going to be good to hang on to those things and be in a relationship with this person at the same time. Yeah. And I do think that ideally, eventually, like a, a, a sense of forgiveness just for the situation so that you don't hold on to the idea that like every single person that you meet later on in your life is going to potentially do this to you. Because mm. I, I feel like I've absolutely had moments where I'm like, fuck, like my old relationships, they were really bad. And this person yeah. did this terrible thing to me. And I come into a new relationship being like, <laughs> this is going to happen to me again. Yeah. And I think holding that sense of resentment or that sense of anger it, continually for something that happened to you in the past, it could lead to baggage in new relationships. And I think even just for yourself, even if you don't stay in the relationship, just being like, I'm letting it go. It happened. Fuck that person. I'm letting <laughs> it go. Like right. that'll that'll allow for some understanding when you do decide to get into a new relationship. And right. I think these questions also work even um not with a, an affair in kind of the mm-hmm. traditional sexual infidelity sense of the word, but like we were talking about earlier with some kind of breach of trust. I think these questions still apply, right? It's that like is there still something here in this relationship that if I can trust them again, I would still want to be in it. Can I, can I see myself letting go of my anger and resentment about whatever this betrayal was? Mm. And can I see myself forgiving them? I, I think that absolutely applies. If you're having that same question of like, well, it's not so black and white as an affair because we're taught to think that's black and white, but there was some other violation of trust. Mm-hmm. I think this still applies. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so if people want to find more about this, I often refer people to our episode 155 that was specifically about rebuilding trust. That episode is not just about rebuilding trust. It is also conversations around, like, is it even possible um, to rebuild trust in a relationship after a huge violation? What is it going to feel like after that? Um, So again, 
If you're interested in this, go check out episode 155 to get a little bit more information on that. And the closing thought that we wanted to leave you all with for this episode (laughs) is that the best outcome isn't the one where you stay in the relationship necessarily. It's the one where you have healthy, respectful, and rewarding relationships. If that is this relationship, then making it work after infidelity is great. But if this isn't that relationship, no one is out there giving out points for making unhappy relationships last longer. When we think about that statistic of 40% of people saying they're not on good terms with their partner, even after sticking together after an affair, no one's giving you points for that. No one's rewarding you for that. So just keep that in mind. No high scores. That this isn't about finding tricks to somehow win at the one result, which is making a relationship last. That's not the goal of this game. So what about you? What have your experiences been with infidelity or with trying to move from infidelity to non-monogamy or trying to repair a relationship? We would love to hear from you. And the best place to be part of that conversation is in our private discourse discussion group and our Facebook discussion group, which you can access through our Patreon, which you can get to by going to patreon.com slash multiamory and pledging there to become part of one of those groups. In addition, you can share publicly with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also email us at info at multiamory.com. Leave us a voicemail at 678-MULTI05, or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balbanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.